And while we welcome all of our Facebook Live folks that watch from in the area that are not able to be with us because they're sick or they watch from another part of the state or even another part of the country, we welcome you to Pulaski Church of God. And we believe that the Lord is blessing you today for you joining in with us in our service. But I just got to tell you, it's just not like being here in person. Can I get an amen? Oh, that was weak. Can I get an amen? But we are glad you're joining in with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6. 2 Samuel, chapter 6. I'm going to read several verses of Scripture, beginning at verse 12. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Mishal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh, flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Mishal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, quite cynically I might add, how glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants. As one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said unto Mishal, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the, hand, of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore me shall the daughter of Saul had no child unto the day of her death. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today thanking you and praising you for your presence in this place. Lord, right now, as we enter into the time in the Word of God, this sacred pulling up to the table of the Master, would you bless the Word 
Would you cause it to come alive in our spirit and in our heart? May our souls be stirred and our lives be changed as a result of hearing the word of Almighty God. We give you praise and glory and honor for these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. So this morning I'd like to talk to you about the other side of the window. The other side of the window. I love the Old Testament history. I love the passage of Scripture that is before us this morning. This chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 12 has been a backdrop for some tremendous lessons on how to handle the presence of God. I've preached from this passage, heard messages from this passage, and I'm never disappointed with new revelation as it relates to David and the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant is a sacred piece of furniture. It wasn't extremely big. It had some weight to it, but it was to be borne on the priest's shoulders. And it was the representation of God's presence in the life of the nation of Israel. Some lessons that I have learned from reading this passage of Scripture is like the burden of God's presence. For one time, they tried to take the Ark of the Covenant and put it on a a new cart instead of on the shoulders of the priest. And when they did that, tragedy struck. When you look at that and when you think about it, you're reminded that, you know, there's a way to bring God's presence in. You can't do it the world's way. Too many are trying to bring God's presence in and doing it with worldly techniques, and God will have no parts of it. I've also learned a lesson about the irreverence of God's presence in this passage. For the Bible says that when the Ark of the Covenant was sitting on that cart and the oxen stumbled, that a young man by the name of Uzzah, someone that was unauthorized to touch the Ark of the Covenant, he reached out even with good intentions and he touched the ark to try to steady it upon the cart and God struck him down and he died. The lesson that comes from that is very clear to me. We must have awe and we must have reverence for the presence of Jehovah. You just cannot handle God any way that you see fit. This morning though I want to focus on two people or I could very easily say two classes of people. First of all, I want to talk about David, who is determined to praise. You see, history would tell us that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had long been without the blessing of God's presence. And there had been, as I just mentioned, an attempt to bring back the Ark of the Covenant back to God's city, but they used an alternative method that left to led to tragedy, and it left them void of having Jehovah among them. And so they they allowed the Ark of the Covenant to stay at the home of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And as they left it there for a long period of time, they watched as God blessed Obed-Edom's home tremendously. And so while David watched this for a while, then he determined he was going to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem. But this time, he wasn't going to bring it back on a cart. He was going to do it right as it was prescribed to do. 
And sure enough, what happened was the priest went to Obed-Edom's home and they got hold of the ark and all and the king and all of the people uh, with them. And they bore the ark on their shoulders as they should. The Bible says they sacrificed oxen and fatlings as they should. The Bible says they brought the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. They brought it back with great rejoicing as they should. And they placed it back in the tabernacle where it belonged. The scripture tells us here in this narrative that King David is so excited to have the presence of God back in town that he shed his garments of dignity and royalty. The scripture says he he girded himself with a, a linen ephod, which was the garments of the priesthood. And the Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I looked up that word danced in the Hebrew in verse 14, and it means springing around in half circles to the sound of music. This was the king. This was the monarch of the whole nation, but it didn't matter because the presence of God had returned to the nation of Jerusalem and he was filled with rejoicing. It didn't matter who was in attendance. It didn't matter if the members of his cabinet were present. It didn't matter what the common people thought. He determined that he was going to revel in the presence of the Lord and praise him with all of his might. And to quote the dancing and praising and shouting king he said these words I am doing this before the Lord hallelujah my audience is an audience of one that's David who was determined to praise and then there's another person involved in this narrative, and her name is Michal. She is the critical one. While David is determined to praise, Michal is critical of David's praise. This was, after all, his first love. This was David's wife. She was Saul's daughter, the king who David had succeeded, Saul who loved pomp and loved ceremony, and here Mishal is up behind a window, high up on the other side of that window. And she is at this moment esteeming her position as queen more precious than having the presence of God back in town. Here you look and you see Mishal as she is sitting on the other side of a high up window. And with scorn and disdain and disgust, she is looking down upon David as he celebrates the return of the presence of God. I made a statement Wednesday night in the Bible study that I was teaching that I want to make here again today, and that is this. Me shall love David as king, but she hated him as a worshiper of Jehovah. I thought about that, and I pondered that, and I, so I decided I'm going to do some digging. I wondered why, when you're married to a worshiper like David, 
Why would you be so critical and so cynical? Why would you not be excited as his wife to have the presence of God back in town? And so I did a little digging in the scripture, and I believe I came up with some legitimate reasons why she held this position. The first reason I came up with is because her, her being cynical was because she grew up with a dad, a father who was indifferent to the presence of God. Her dad being King Saul, he cared less about the presence of Jehovah. In fact, I stumbled across a passage of scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 3. Listen to what it says. These are David's words. He said, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquire not at it in the days of Saul. In other words, in King Saul's day, Mishal's father, the presence of God was not regarded. It was not sought after. And, and the reality is, if the presence of God wasn't a priority for her father, then it wasn't a priority for her. Her dad was too busy throwing javelins at other people. Her dad was too busy offering sacrifices over being obedient to the law so he would look good uh, to the people that he led. Her dad was wrapped up in his own agenda and was consumed with envy over anyone else's success. And let me just stop here and say, hey, mom and dad, let me just tell you today, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You play around with the presence of God. You're indifferent to the presence of God. You're cynical, critical toward the presence of God. I guarantee you if you're not careful you will raise a generation of children and grandchildren that'll be indifferent to the presence of God. Oh God raise up moms and dads that will not just lift their hands in the sanctuary but they'll lift their hands as priests of their home. They'll worship God in their living room. They'll worship God while they're washing dishes. They'll worship God at their bedside. Their children will know even if they have to make choices away from the Lord, that they're not going to fail because of the pattern of their parents. Their parents are determined that they're going to revel in the presence of God in and out of the house of God. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> if you're indifferent to the presence of God, your children will be indifferent to the presence of God. I also thought maybe she was critical because Mishael worshipped idols. Is it possible that she worshipped idols? You see, on one occasion, years earlier, her father, Saul, was hunting David, the one she was in love with, to kill him. He was jealous of him. And I found in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 13 that the scripture says that when they came to search her where she lived, that she took a, a statue to cover for David when Saul was trying to hunt and kill him. I'm telling you, Brother Gene, I pondered that this week, and I thought, well, my goodness, why in the world did she have an image, a statue in her home after all? And then I thought it's very possible that she might have been wrapped up in a little idolatry herself. 
It could very well have been that the reason she had that statue in her home was because that statue was more important than the presence of God in the community. And, and I'm telling you, right now, it's safe to say when anyone or anything takes a higher priority in your life than Jesus Christ, it is idolatry. Come on, somebody help me here. It is idolatry, and it's further important to note that they're not going to be real thrilled with the return of the presence of God if it means they're going to have to sacrifice their idol worship. I'm telling you right now, if you're here and you're married and if you're a spouse and you have a, and you have a spouse that has idols in their heart, uh, you, you're, they're not going to be real happy when you start invoking and inviting the presence of God into your life and into your marriage. What I say is still keep doing it just kiss still keep doing it still keep calling upon the name of the Lord still keep believing in the presence of Jehovah still keep singing the songs of Zion and still keep believing that they may get further and further steeped in sin but one day the mercy and grace of God is going to reach down into the deep miry pit that they are in and it's going to snatch them out of the claws of the enemy and set them free in Jesus name So if Michelle was not indifferent to God's presence or if she was not an idol worshiper, then this one last thought came to me. If nothing else, she was critical of David because she was image-driven and pride-filled. She was, after all, the queen. She was into entitlement, political clout. And so anything that sacrificed that reputation among the people... She was against. Stay with me this morning. She was against it. So let me ask you, are you indifferent to God's presence? Are you an idol worshiper instead of a Jesus worshiper? Are you image-driven so much that it will quench your praise? <laughs> Which side of the window are you on? Are you on the high side of the window saying, I've got a, man, I, I like this Jesus stuff, but just a little bit. Just enough, get, just get me into heaven. I just want enough of Jesus to get me into heaven. You'd be surprised how many Christians live that way. When the truth of the matter is, if you're not sold out to him, you're not one of him at all, his at all. Or are you down there on the lower side of the window? You see, the reality is we all have different names, but these two folks represent two classes of people on both sides of the window. Not the poor or the rich, not the black or the white, not the educated or the uneducated. You see, when I came to church today, I, I knew that I was going to be coming amongst a group of Davids that are here today. There are some Davids in the house this morning. There are some people in the house today, you made up your mind to climb down out of that window of loftiness and highness and superiority and sophistication, and you've decided to get in on the celebration. You're here today, and you realize at one time you were lost, but today you are found. 
You realize that one day you were undone, but you stumbled across your spiritual house where the presence of Jesus was, and you found the altar of repentance, and you found the altar of salvation, and you experienced the presence of Jehovah. You have tasted to see that the Lord is good. And now, like David, you're not indifferent. You're not wrapped up in idols, and you could care less about your image. You plan on bringing God's presence back to town with you. You plan on celebrating his presence when you feel him. No more holding back. No more reservation. No more hesitation. You're here today as a David, determined to praise. It may have already cost you some friends. There's some family that might have thought you've lost your mind. There's no longer the compliments rolling into how sophisticated and together you seem to be. But you know what? It doesn't matter. You made up your mind you're going to celebrate the presence of Jesus. You realize that in him you live and move and have your being. He's not only your creator, he's your sustainer. He's the one that gave you breath in your lungs. He's the one that's causing blood to course through your veins. And so no matter whether anyone celebrates with you or not, you've made up your mind. I am going to praise the Lord. Is there any Davids in the house today that will praise him for this moment? Lift up a shout unto the Lord. It doesn't matter who's sitting around you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Acts tells us that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Psalms tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy evermore. No more a spectator. I am a participator. We watch them every year. We watch on Thanksgiving Day. As people march, they play, they sing, and the floats. And we watch all these Thanksgiving Day parades and Macy's Day parades. But what's always intriguing to me is that there's always lined up the side of the road barriers that keep the people on the sidewalks. <laughs> That's not the kind of parade I'm talking about. <laughs> you see, there's a gospel parade. There's a parade that you don't have to stay on the sidewalk behind a barricade. You can get right out in the middle of it. My Lord, you're not on the program. You're not on the agenda. Nobody called you up and, and courted you. You just realized that he redeemed you from your sin. And, and I'm telling you, the barriers have been removed. Brother Joey, there's no, there's no barriers on the sidewalk. You can get right out in the middle of the street and celebrate. You say, I don't know if that's biblical. I'm telling you right now, it is biblical. That's exactly what happened on Palm Sunday when he came riding in on a donkey. The children were in the middle of the street dancing about and singing and praising the Lord. The people were throwing their garments down in the road so that the donkey could walk by. They were waving palm branches 
And these were the words they were saying. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm telling you yesterday, I tuned in. It was on the news this morning. I wish I would have come down because I really didn't know everything that was happening. But there was a flash mob that went on in downtown Pulaski yesterday. And I thought, boy, I tell you, that's some town spirit. That's some county spirit right there. But I'm telling you, wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something if something greater than town spirit and county spirit got a hold of us? What would happen if about 275 people in this room got enough of God inside of them that we went out there and started marching up Bob White Boulevard and lifting our praise to the Lord? Yes, it might stir up the town police. And yes, the manager may call me on the carpet next week. But the bottom line is we've got to make up our mind. We're going to praise the Lord no matter who and where we are. We need a flash mob for Jesus. Who cares whether HGTV puts us on their show or not? We need a flash mob for Jesus. There's no, there's no barricades at your sidewalk today. It's time to leave your sidewalk and get in the parade of praise. Get to a place where you're not worried about what you drove up in, or what you're wearing, or what someone else is driving, or what someone else is wearing. You just come in with a determination. If no one else will celebrate and praise the Lord, then I will do it on my own. <laughs> it is amazing how our praise is quenched based upon the selection of music. It is amazing and astounding that our praise can be quenched based upon who's leading the music. you got that David spirit about you, it don't matter. <laughs> A membership class this past week, somebody said they liked it when I come down front, so they gave me permission. It takes me a little longer to get down here, just bear with me. But you know what they did? They took six steps from Obed-Edom's house all the way back to Jerusalem, they only took six steps, and then they would take a praise great break. Six pace, six step praise. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The priests have the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. I mean, they, it's got some weight to it. And they walk, and the king... Is out front, and a multitude of people are behind him, and they're probably thinking, man, we need to hurry up and get back to the city. David said, no, we're not doing that. No, no. We've watched the presence of God from a distance for much too long. One, two, three, four, five, six. 
6. <laughs> I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. One, two, three, four, five, six. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. One, two. Is anybody getting this in your spirit today? I'm telling you, there's supposed to be a praise on our lips 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, God, give us some six-step, six-pace praise so that everyone knows around us that we are a child of the king. Heard the story about the little boy. They were getting ready to go to church. Right before they got in the car, he found a quarter. He put it in his pocket. Went to Sunday school, went to church, came back home, went in the house. The little boy went up to his mama and said, Mama, here's a quarter I found in the driveway this morning. He said, I was going to give it to Jesus at church, but he wasn't there. So I thought I'd just bring it back home and give it to you. You say, can that happen? I tell you, it absolutely can happen. It can happen when we become stuffed shirted and stiff-necked. We get in our vein and in our glory. But I'm telling you, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. I'm just trying to help somebody find the real peace that is in Jesus Christ. And if I have to do it with a shout to the top of my lungs, I'm going to do it. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Somebody lift up a shout even this moment Lord we magnify your name my God my God let the people praise thee oh God let all the people praise thee I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the Holy Ghost Last time I checked, we were Pentecostal. Last time I checked, we believed in the spontaneity of the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody would lift up a shout of praise. My God, my God. say, oh, that's not necessary. You don't know what I came from before I met Jesus. You don't know how bound I was before I met Jesus. And whether you approve or not, I am going to praise the Lord. Well, I'm an introvert. I don't see where exception is made for introverts. 
I'm not asking you to clone your praise after me or after the person next to you. But when the scripture says, let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. When the Bible said, I would that all men everywhere would lift up holy hands. That's everyone. Can we squash the presence of Christ? Oh, yes. When we refuse to praise and celebrate due to image, idolatry, or indifference. You're waiting for Jesus to show up. He's waiting for an address to show up too. He said, I will inhabit the praises of my people. You see, there are some Michels in the house as well. You're looking and spectating from a distance. Maybe you have this self-appointed label. <laughs> and you must put your seal on this service. All this shouting and tongue-talking and dancing. It's not really necessary. You won't say it, but you think it. One of the reasons why you've come to that place is because it's been a long time since you've had a breakthrough. And instead of staying down where the party's taking place, you've climbed your trellis of spiritual superi superiority, and you're looking, you're looking down on us Davids. <laughs> if you're not careful, you'll come up with a fault-finding spirit. And then a fault-finding spirit is always exaggerated. You would have thought that when David shed his royal garments that he went stark naked because that's what Michal said. She gives you the impression that he was dancing completely nude in the streets and that is not the truth. He had put on a little linen ephod which is what the priest wore. <laughs> and that's Michal's for you. I've said before, you probably need to hear it about once a quarter. But when we get to heaven, the sound and the temperature in church is going to be perfect. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. If anybody's grateful for that, I certainly am. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too long. It's too short. Raises her hands too much. Can he maintain his composure? I think it was fleshy. Gestures too much, that slain in the spirit can't be real. Listen, my Michal friend, 
If you don't leave your high window that is bursting with condescension and criticism, God will bring you down. A crash landing may be headed your way. Because of her critical spirit, she would become barren and unfruitful. All because she stayed on the high side of the window. Today's the chance to leave the window of disdain and climb down the trellis. Come down here with us regular folk, us blue-collar folk that have been redeemed and set free from sin. And we just have come to celebrate God's good, good presence. I'm going to ask Crossfire to get ready to come back to the instruments. But let me talk to the Davids in the house for just a moment. Don't, friend, go to where the Michels are. Do not try to climb the trellis or ladder to their pedestal of approval. They have a fault-finding spirit. But you need to know Running in the spirit is what Elijah did. Slain in the spirit is what John the Revelator was. Raising hands is what Moses did. Weeping is what Jeremiah the prophet was known for. Shouting is what took the walls of Jericho down. Dancing is what David did. So if you're going to tell me that all that's unnecessary, then you're going to say that this word of God is unnecessary. And to the Davids in the house, I'm telling you, one of the biggest challenges we have in this transition that we have just come through is to make sure that we do not become stiff-necked, stuff-shirted, heady, and high-minded because we're in a bigger room with more comfortable seats. We're still praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're still raising the roof to the God of our salvation who has set us free. Just the thought that I was on my way to hell, but one day I knelt and asked Jesus to come into my heart, and at that moment he covered my sins. He removed my sins with his blood, and in his blood he wrote my name down in the book of life. I'm telling you, I've got a right. I've got a privilege. I've got a responsibility to praise the Lord. I will not climb up to some window of someone's approval. I will magnify the Lord and be determined to praise like David. Listen to the word. My heart has been fixed. My heart has been fixed. 
I will sing and give praise. I'm telling you, anybody knows what a shattered heart is, but today your heart is healed. The result is I will sing and I will give praise. child of God normally there's a praise on your lips but the cares of life have, have taken you down the command to you is to put on the garment of praise to take the place of your spirit of heaviness go for it I'm not going to do anything else I'm done I've done what I've been assigned to do. If there's any praisers in the house, they'll find their way. Sing it. 